This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, Episode 20, with guest Vanessa Stock. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Sovorova, and welcome to today's conversation. Vanessa is the VP of People and co-founder at Pitch, which is changing how presentations are crafted and knowledge is shared. Before joining Pitch, she was the HR director to help startup Clue and also was part of Wunderlist, where she helped hire and build the core team. Vanessa is one of the Berlin's key voices on conversations around leadership, people management, and how to build a successful distributed team. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of today's conversation. I hope you are ready. And if you found lots of food for thought in today's episode, make sure to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Vanessa, welcome to the studio here in the heart of Kreuzberg, Berlin. Hi. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks for yeah your invite. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, I was reading that a bunch of introverts behind Pitch raised 85 million USD. And I mean, this is amazing news, really. Congratulations on that. But can you also tell me what does this mean for the team and for Pitch? Yeah, I think um, in general, it shows that we as a business are entering the next big growth stage. We launched our product last year in October. It's been out there now for a bunch of time. We are having growing revenues and a growing user base. And um, with that new funding, we can really invest in shipping the features we want to ship and hiring the people we want to hire and, and really scaling the company based on our ambitions. And they are big. And we, yeah, we will have to hire a lot of people and um, we are hiring remote. So we need to be competitive to the global market. Um, and yeah, this is going to give us um, some years of really building this company in the right way. Before we explore a little bit further about the team and the history behind it, because I really love it and I want to speak about this with you. Can you explain what is Pitch for those who don't know and how is it about to disrupt how teams collaborate and work today? Yeah, so the essence of the product is basically we we just felt that the whole presentation market has been like untouched for like decades and and it's been stuck in the 90s and when we yeah look at the software landscape we really felt like yeah all these products are evolving in the design space and developer tools and everything and the presentation market is so huge and nothing really happened um for many years or at least we didn't feel like there's anyone really disrupting it in a way that it's reshaping uh the way how you create presentations and share them so we started it and um yeah the way or how we envision it is yeah, we basically want to reshape the whole um, experience of creating a presentation, sharing it, spreading it with the world, but also um, collaborating on it, but also playing and presenting it. So there are so many aspects of presentations that we think you can basically bring together in one product and really um, bring it to the next level. And um, yeah, we are living in a remote world. People are working from everywhere. People want to spread their ideas. And um, we didn't feel like there's one tool bringing all of this together. So it's going to be like a mixture of video call, editing, like a jam board, like collaborative board and presentation. So it's like, it's actually not really a presentation anymore, really per se. It's 
focusing on the presentation experience and the way how you're going to bring your ideas into a presentation because we want to focus on the user that's not the best designer, but you can basically design and share a great deck that's professionally designed without being a designer. I don't want to talk too much, but we're also going to launch a new big platform and this is going to be like, yeah, the slide share and cool basically. Um, and yeah, the next generation of the way how people can share their mm -hmm. ideas. Yeah. And I was reading actually from Christian Reber, this great quote, consulting firms create PowerPoint presentations on a PC. They share them via email, they convert them to PDF. And this is complete broken experience. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, this is this has to change. This is going to be centralized in one tool and then one space and ideally pitch will be the place where you go if you want to find the best pitch deck for ABC or the best marketing report or the best like the Netflix culture deck that was like sent around back then. Mm -hmm. I remember this was a big thing everyone read but it was like in a really bad um, <laughs> shape. <laughs> shape. And uh, so ideally this will all be um, shared and, and placed at pitch. I would like to speak a little bit now of the team and how have the team members have grown since Wunderlist? Because this is where you got to know each other. Yeah. I mean, so Wunderlist is now more than 10 years back. So everyone was still kids in a way. And it was like for many people, the first job. And I think um, all of us and the whole team just grew and matured and we all went through experiences. Half of the team was part of Microsoft, part of a big corporation. Others went through the startup world like me, ex meeting lots of other founders, lots of other teams. You just saw different scenarios and you just learned so much um, through that, also through the Microsoft acquisition. And I think um, all of us, yeah, just matured in their roles, but also as people. And I think um, what all of us unites is that we want to yeah, create a very intentional organization and do the right thing. And this is possible like today after all these years of experience, right? To, to work differently and to really deliver such a product as Pitch. You think this would not be possible like five, ten years ago? I guess Pitch is a lot more complex than Wunderlist as a product, I would say. And I think um, everyone has much more experience. I think probably we would have gotten also pretty far back then. So at Vonellis, we got also very far. But I think now, I think with having this validation through this first experience, you are actually able to have a lot more advanced conversations also with VCs or with team members and, and envisioning like a much more bigger product. It's just so admirable that you kept each other on, on the radar and that you came together again. I mean, this doesn't happen often. Was there a very strong friendship, a bond, or someone in particular bringing you together? Yeah, I think um, what was special um, with Ornelis is just that it was an amazing team. And I always knew if we get a chance to work together, I would be so in. And I think there are not many people in your work life that you meet where you know, I totally respect their work. I love them as humans and for their values. And um, I mean, you meet lots of people where, you know, it's been a great experience, but it's also fine to end the relationship, the work relationship at some point. And with them, I just knew I would be totally in and it's so, so special. And I think what the biggest strength of this 
yeah, connection is is that we yeah we worked together for many years. We re respected each other's work and knew each other's strengths and weaknesses, and still decided yeah let's go back together. And I think overall this makes us a less reactive leadership team, founding team, however you want to call it. And I think that's our biggest strength. I mean, what, what do you mean by less reactive? I think there are lots of founders that meet on conferences and say, okay, let's start something because we are two business dudes. And um, in the end, they don't know each other. They end up having disagreements because they are not on the same level with their values, with their interests, with their egos. And I think all of this has been cleared up even before because we all knew each other. Everyone owned their domain. We trusted each other in our like areas. And I think there was never competition this, also. this thing. Yeah. The founding team is eight members and this is very unusual. Maybe you can shed some light for what are the sort of speak benefits of this, but also maybe disadvantages of such a setup of eight co-founders. Yeah, I think the biggest advantage is A, that we were a lot faster than many other companies. I mean, we already had all these business areas owned by someone when we started and you as a, I think for Christian as a CEO, he knew okay, I don't need to worry about recruiting and finding the right people. It's going to work. I don't need to worry about tech because I have my tech co-founders and many other companies start with one CEO, maybe another, and they really need to start hiring the right people and they don't have this own knowledge. And I think um, in many companies, when you have like a business founder, maybe one more are running marketing, the biggest weakness will always be the tech side or the product side. And And we had all of this already there from start. And we basically knew we have the same vision for these parts of the business. So we actually saved a lot of time, saved a lot of discussions, didn't do wrong hires and all these things. So I would see it as a pure advantage. Um, as a disadvantage, I couldn't think of any because I think in the end, Christian is obviously still the CEO and he would make like the last call on decisions. But I mean, we are the sounding board to each other and just trust each other for their, for our opinion. So there isn't a real disadvantage from my end right yeah. now. I think it's a very unique situation because as you said, that's possible because it's not like you bumped into each other at the conference. You actually worked together. You knew each other. Yeah. You went already through like ups and downs. And so it's just a very like smooth kind of transition into this new setup. But that's great. You know, that's just a shout out to the people that, hey, if you really like someone in a company, you know, keep them around because who knows? Exactly. And I think Christian is really great at that. I mean, he did that with like Wunderlist. There were six co-founders. It worked out. And now we are even eight. And, <laughs> and everyone is happy still. So I think it's, it's great. Speaking of a pitch journey, because it was founded in 2018, how has it been developing since then? until today? Like what have you been working and focusing on in those two, three years? Obviously, the biggest uh, focus in the first few years was building the core team. We hired, we doubled the team every year. So first year was 25 people, then 50, 100. Now we are 130. I think we'll end the year by 180. And uh, yeah, the biggest uh, focus was finding the core team that helps us building this amazing product and marketing it the right way. And uh, it took us a while to really uh, get it right, obviously, because it's you kind of are redoing like this whole software of Microsoft or PowerPoint. I mean, we didn't redo it, but there's so much 
basics you have to build, but you also have to rebuild them and innovate them. So it all takes time. And that's why it took us a long time. Not long time, definitely not. But it took us longer than other people would sometimes take to really launch something. But we wanted to get it right um, and launch something that we are proud of. It took us in the end almost two and a half years, three years. So before we launched it. Um, and then um, one part of this journey was obviously also our limited preview release um, in which like our first users could use it for a while and we gathered feedback before mm -hmm. actually launching it. So mm -hmm. it was like a well-prepared launch last year. Now, Vanessa, I would like to shift a little bit towards you and your favorite topic of HR and people operations, everything people related. And as a VP of people, what team and organization do you dream to build um, and how do you achieve that? Yeah, so maybe I start the answer more like what my intention was with HR in the beginning. So my, I started my career in PR and communications. I worked in advertising agencies. I was like really enjoying the pace, but I was always questioning this hierarchies, these artificial like rules that people worked in, like in all these companies back then. And I was always like, why does it have to be like that? Why am I junior? Why can I not do this? And I always felt like I really want to build organizations in which people feel like they have meaning in their work and they create something that they are proud of. And there's not this random boss taking the <laughs> advantage of um, people. And I think um, that's why I went back into university and studied business psychology, organizational psychology, because I really believed in You can change the way you work and you can f change the future of work, which is obviously nowadays a big topic. And um, I always cared about this and I always cared about equality for people. I always felt like people should be equally treated. There shouldn't be like these weird relationship dynamics in which some people who know someone better have a better experience at the workplace. And I just believe in that this is not right. And I don't think you are building a healthy sustainable environment like that. So this was always something I cared about. So my, my master thesis back then was about different um, organizational models. And I was always interested in this concept of self-organizing teams. And um, yeah, with that knowledge, it was kind of clear you have to go in startup world because there you can actually play around and really change things and, mm -hmm. and see how things are working. And um, yeah, that's how I started. And um Yeah, with Pitch, um, our biggest, how to say, uh, as humans, our biggest um, value was always to build an people-centric environment in which people can thrive, feel ownership, and feel equally valued. So that was always the, the common thinking in the beginning, and it's still like our essence when we are thinking about how we make decisions today. And how does that look in practice? When you speak about organizational models, I think it's For a lot of people, it's just something in the air. And how does it look in practice? Let's say when you say you play around with startup and trying out different models, like what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, so there are different ways, right? How you build teams, there are different ways, how you um, give people ownership, how you give them responsibility, how you involve them in the outcome, how you involve them in decisions. And um, there are different Models, right? You have matrix organizations, you have all these like um, conservative models that somehow work and I think are also working for certain types of people and also certain types of business environments. Um, but I think when you work with 
smart people who really want to feel like I'm creating something and I'm invested in this, then you really need to give them space to own stuff and to feel like I'm really shaping this product or I have a say in what's been shipped. I have a say in how I work and I have a say on what this business might be going. And I think um, having like a transparent um, environment as a business is important for that and, and really getting into a dialogue with your employees, make them part of strategic discussions, company discussions on high level um, is super important. And I think then you create a different relationship to your employees. And I wouldn't make a difference between juniors and seniors, right? Because even the junior might have great ideas and you want to give them also the feeling like I respect and value your perspective. You mentioned ownership and how does it influence employees' ownership and commitment by having, for, for instance, financial stake in a company? Yeah, I think this is a big, important aspect of it. And I think that's the special thing about startups, right, in which you can give them actually some sort of shares and and um, equity in the business so that they know long term, hey, whatever I'm contributing, it's going to have a big impact on the business, but also hopefully on my personal pocket one day. And I think um, it just shows also like the gives appreciation back. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's why I believe in yeah the future of organizations in which you really let everyone participate. And for me, I can just say, for example, after the Wunderlist exit, I was not super experienced, but I also got money and I was like, wow, this is great. Like I wasn't part of it from the beginning, but like it just makes you feel so special as an employee when you feel like, wow, there's this big money now given back to everyone. And I think um, it just gives you a different connection. And mm -hmm. I feel like these businesses that just think, oh, it's just our leadership team mm -hmm. getting like, big um, numbers. I don't think that th this is right because in the end, this business wouldn't run without every other person and with, without every other person shipping great work, contributing work on all levels. But sometimes, you know, with, I think with equity programs, um, things can go wrong. What, in your opinion, you think companies should think through very well before setting up such an incentive program? Absolutely. You should definitely consult the right lawyers and make sure that you come up with an employee-friendly program because I know in Berlin or across the world, there are different types of VSOP fake programs that are somehow supposed to mean something, but then there are weird clauses in the end uh -oh. <laughs> saying um, you will lose it along the way after you left the company. I mean, there are different types, right? When you leave a company, that could be the case that after four years, you kind of lose stacks of what you mm -hmm. earned. And um, I think every employee should really pay attention to what they sign and what it actually means. But also the employee definitely should be aware that whatever you write down there sets the culture that you're kind of mm -hmm. spreading. And um, yeah, there are different ways of employee friendliness, I would say, in these programs. And I would hope that most companies try to make it as employee friendly as possible. And we definitely did. Like we try to have it in a way that it's European best practice standard. And how do you manage the distributed teams? You mentioned that you have now very remote employee uh, force around the world. How do you make sure that it's sustainable and it really collaborative? So we were always really believing in asynchronous communications and also having a low meeting frequency. 
I don't know if that's still true, but <laughs> but I think we really want to remind everyone to rethink if you need this meeting, if you need all these people in there, and to really question if you can also do this just by a good Slack update or by writing a good document or brainstorm asynchronous and notion or whatever. And um, so I think it's a mix of asynchronous communications, really in fostering this also as a leadership team, giving people the right tools to brainstorm remotely, but not being always there at the same time. We have people in different time zones. So you need to really incorporate this in your culture that people wake up at different times, but you still want them to participate in decisions. And so you need to document it and make these informations accessible and also give them time to look at these things and then contribute. So yeah, I think it's a mix of things, but in the end it boils down to how the leadership team is giving people the space and time and the right resources and tools to work remotely. Yeah, and it's interesting how, you know, making them productive and making this work efficient, but also ensuring that people don't run into the burnout, right? Now that everyone was working remotely at home, you just never tend to close the laptop. You never end up your workday. It just continuously goes on and there are situations of burnouts happening. I mean, how to deal with those and how to ensure that that's not a regular event at a company? Yeah, I think that's the topic everyone is facing now after being remote for a year or not remote. I mean, we've been remote before, but being shut at home and not having your outlet. And we notice that a lot of people don't take holiday because they know I can't travel, but we really need to go into a dialogue with your people where you feel like, okay, they work so much. Try to ask them, hey, what's your workload like? Like, is there something that we can deprioritize? Make sure you take your evenings off, you know, and also as a leadership team, not to post stuff too late. So people feel like, oh, I have to be there mm -hmm. at nine or whatever and respond, right? But setting a culture of like, hey, it's okay to take your evening and, and don't feel like you have to get this done in this time mm -hmm. um, to really... Yeah, set clear goals and timelines and go into a dialogue is important. Speaking a little bit back about organizations and how startups, companies work, how do you think that design of a company and like internal processes differ at different stages of a company? So if we speak about a small seed startup, I mean, this is just few people. Like, as you said, you, you take on all the activities, like it's it, you're interacting But then let's say it's, an, or maybe you can give an example at pitch and then you grow suddenly to 50, to 100 people. How does that design of how the reporting is done, the deliverables are checked on, the leadership team coordinates, how does this evolve as a company grows? Yeah, I think um, we all know when you're 20 people, you're in a super different dynamic than 40 already. And then you approach 80. I think it always comes, every stage comes with different challenges. I think with 20, it's pretty like you don't need clear communication structures. You don't need too clear role responsibilities because somehow everyone does everything to some degree and somehow works. And um, and then you get more people. You need to more be more clearer on who's doing what, who communicates to whom. And then at some point you are 80 people and you feel like, okay, Now we need managers. We actually never wanted managers, but now we need to really help orchestrating our teams. And then you add a manager layer to some degree. Um, and then here also you decide how involved 
Like what type of leadership structure are we building here? Like for us, it was always important that we don't have pure managers. Every manager is hands-on and every manager is still a designer or an engineer or whatever. And um, what is the difference between pure manager and a hands-on manager? I mean, I, there are leadership cultures and organizations where the manager actually doesn't do any work themselves anymore, where they just do check-ins and report to the leadership, right? And and they tend to have even less insights of what's happening actually in the product. And so there are different mentalities on how you can introduce that. And for us, it was really important. And also our C-level VPs, um, heads are really hands-on and still able to really do work um, and don't get too like, oh, I didn't do that. I don't know, you know. Ideally, they are able to answer all these questions um, and also really um, help that team also to own their work and, and not present their work to mm -hmm. someone else. And how do you ensure, I mean, as the company grows, that there are no silos, right, between the different teams and, and groups? I think that's also, and especially in the situation where you're remote, you don't bump into each other in the office, there are more and more silos appearing in the company. How to minimize those? Yeah, I think for us, it, when you build a product organization, you really need to make sure that a designers talk to engineers. That's why there's always an engineer and designer in the same team. So they have to talk on the same level. And then also how is marketing integrated in this? And you need to make sure that all these functions are communicating regularly on what are we shipping, what's happening in the product, and that there's a constant exchange. And I mean, it's always a It's always a process and things need to improve along the way. But I think um, the more open channels you have, the more accessible you make team updates. We have like our team bulletins that are shared with everyone where every team gives an update on Friday. So everyone knows what's happening in all these teams. I mean, you need to read it. <laughs> If you don't, then you probably don't know. Yeah, I think it's about yeah, and fostering a culture in which people feel like I can share what I'm doing and we want to hear what happened in your team, you know, and also everyone else wants to appreciate the great work and um, to celebrate it also in a way, I think is important. And now, Vanessa, now as, as a VP of people, I mean, and you were HR director also at Clue, I mean, what your heart is beating for, really, what are you super excited to be like, to work on things in the company and in such a also like growth stage environment? Yeah, I think um, what I'm passionate about is really building a healthy organization in which people feel like I'm so connected to the work, but also to the humans I'm working with and that you are really um, feeling like you can grow with this organization. And I feel like now we are 120 people, we need to invest in a much more complex way into everyone's development. So mm -hmm. coming up with like um, ways on how to onboard people and how to um, develop them long-term is a much more different question than it was when we were 60 people. And I think I'm very excited about this and I'm very like thinking a lot about these topics and coming up with like a clear people strategy on how to grow now from 120 to 300 people. I think, yeah, it's going to be a wild and nice ride. <laughs> wild and nice. I like that. <laughs> Before I would like to wrap up with my favorite question, I just want to ask you, like, what's the plan ahead for you for Pitch? I mean, what is there that you're looking forward to in the next, you know, five years? Yeah, 
I think it's a lot. I mean, we are going to like, yeah, continue improving this amazing product, uh, hiring amazing people. We are just about to hire some C-level. We are building out our leadership team. We are hiring a lot of like people for our product teams, marketing teams, and it's going to be so Yeah, it's already crazy what type of people we can attract here as a Berlin company. Like we really have conversations with all these crazy leaders from Silicon Valley and people are really um, up to join us. And it's amazing who you get to know and um, what comp what type of company we are able to create. It's really amazing. And um, yeah, I think the next five years we're going to focus on really creating this running organization in a remote way that's hopefully having people everywhere and that we somehow make it work and get everyone to really contribute in a in a meaningful way i think that's going to be the focus um and yeah considering our high quality standard and software we are building letting our product uh, evolve in our design culture our yeah everything i think there's so much and <laughs> I mean, my perspective is obviously the, the organizational part, so I'm very excited about that. Sounds great and very challenging, as you said. A wild and nice ride yeah. <laughs> ahead, ahead of yeah. you. And I am curious to know who, Vanessa, you would nominate as your woman author of achievement. Any particular role model you have in mind? Yeah, I thought about this a lot. And I feel like I thought about so many people and I feel like I have so many inspiring friends that are role models to me on so many levels. So I find it super hard to like nominate someone. I would nominate all my friends that I aspire for their life paths. Um, there are many interesting people I met throughout my career. I think I really aspire our COO Osa. Um, I think she's a very great peer and um, I'm learning a lot from her. And um, I would, if I have to nominate one, then it would be her because she's now in my present uh, life and I'm really feeling like I can learn from her every day. That's great. Well, hello, Osa. <laughs> uh, Vanessa, this is excellent. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing a lot about, you know, pitch and this really unique setup and how you as um, VP of people and really expert when it comes to organizational design, when building productive, healthy environments, shared the insights uh, with me today. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for, yeah, for all these amazing questions and made me also think a lot and reflect a lot. So it was great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon. <laughs>